Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex, or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Maryland sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists soundtrack album. Running wild, lost control, running wild, mighty bold, feeling gay, reckless too, carefree mind all the time, never blue, always going, don't know where, always showing, I don't care, don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. I am your host, Jimbo, and once again I'm joined by my two co-hosts. Terrence, hello. And Kyle, (laughs) I want another cup of coffee. (laughs) 
All right, we will be discussing the great movie, uh, Some Like It Hot, Marilyn Monroe, Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis. Um, this is ranked number hey, 14. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number 14 movie uh, all time, according to the American Film Top 100. Um, great movie. Uh, this is episode 61 for us. Actually, it's more like episode 100 and something. Something. I've lost count, but <laughs> we should have labeled everything as an episode <laughs> when we started, but we had specials and we had 12 Days of Christmas and we had, you know, no, the Universal <laughs> Monsters one. Yep. You know, we had all this stuff. So, um, so the question is, guys, was Marilyn Monroe hot? <laughs> this is a no, but, podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not what, a family what, Marilyn Monroe. When, when you think of Jack Lemmon or Marilyn Monroe, what is uh, the two movies that come to your mind, one of each or whatever? I mean, this one right here. The, the, I, I, okay, that's one movie. <laughs> Which one are you counting that for? Jack Lemmon or Marilyn yeah. Monroe? For Marilyn Monroe, I definitely think of like Seven Year Itch, probably. Or Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, I Gentlemen think. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is also a great movie. Um, for me, I personally, Seven Year Itch would be the one I think of off the top of my head. And for Jack Lemmon, definitely be like Grumpy Old Man. Grumpy Old Man, oh, exactly. That's, that's true. Or The Apartment yeah. or something, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or uh, what uh, was the Odd Couple? Odd Couple, that's yeah. the other one I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> Terrence? You can't name one that we've named. I got nothing. Uh, like misfits and the movies like that too. Like all documentaries and, uh, you know, but yeah, this yeah. you know honestly, I love magazine work. <laughs> this is the first time that I've watched this movie, and this is the first Marilyn Monroe picture that I've watched all the way through. Really. I've only wow. seen highlights of other movies. Um, you know, you have the famous scene where she's walking down the street and the oh, the yeah, dress. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen uh, the gentleman for Vaughn. I probably got about halfway through it. It was a great movie too. But this is the first time I actually saw. It. And she wasn't a bad actor or actress. Um, at she, least not after. Uh, well, at least <laughs> not after at, at least it. not just during filming. But with the final product, she looked like an actor. But, but we'll get into it because there is a lot of people did not like her, especially in this movie <laughs> for certain reasons, which we'll get into. So, Terrence, let's go ahead and take away this one. All right. So, some like it hot. Nineteen fifty nine. Release date March 29th, nineteen fifty nine. Its budget was two point eight million, which is twenty six point two million today, if you account for inflation. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross. We're looking at a hundred and ninety five million. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, one billion dollars. <laughs> one billion dollars. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, box office. What are we gonna finish? Well, <laughs> that's all I got. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was like, he made up this big old big build up, and then it was just flatline. Like, it's, like, eh, it, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> box office 1959. Uh, once again, couldn't find the month uh, for the particular year, but I do have the box office for the whole year. We're looking at number one, Ben Hur. Great movie. Then we have movie. number two, The Shaggy Dog. Good movie. Number three, Operation uh, Petticoat. And then number four, Something Like It Hot. <laughs> so it, it, it made the top four of the box office. But what else year. came out this year that you just said earlier? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, North by Northwest also And where did it fall in, do you know? Uh, nowhere in the top. Really? Yeah. That was a great movie. <laughs> All right, so this was directed by Billy Wilder, who also directed Sunset Boulevard, uh, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, uh, The Apartment, and Sabrina. Uh, writing credits also goes to I.A.L. Diamond, uh, who also helped writing with The Apartment um, and The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, we, and then uh, the story was suggested by Robert uh, Thorin and Michael Logan. 
We have a runtime of two hours. Um, and it was funny, uh, before we started up the podcast, we were just talking about how uh, we all thought, including myself, who has seen the movie multiple times? I just forgot how long it was. Uh, we all thought, oh, oh, yeah, black and white movie. It'll be like, you know, short little. Yeah, I was going to be a 70 minute affair, yeah, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, it's a two hour movie. Um, two hours and one minute. So. Uh, right, right, right on the edge of that. So, yeah, sound mix mono, Westrex recording system. Uh, this is in black and white. Uh, so back to the black and white movies. And go. also, um, fun fact about that. Uh, well, I'll get that later. Actually, move, keep moving on. I mean, if, if it's on, if it's on topic. Oh, no, well, it, it was originally um, part of Marilyn Monroe's contract with the um, studio was that she had to only be appear in color, color films, movies. Color oh, films. really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So this was after you know color technology was available, of course, obviously since thing. So this is the only black and white movie I believe she ever appeared in, and it was actually by the director's intent to only show it and only film it in black and white. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so an artist choice. Fun fact. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, aspect ratio, 1.66 to 1, European release. And then we have the uh, regular American release is 1.85 by 1. Uh, this was filmed with the Mitchell B&C camera. The film length, we're looking at 3,301 meters. Uh, and then finally, we have the cinematographic process, which is spherical. And the printed format is the 35 millimeter. And then we have the... Awards! Awards. Yay. Where do I show the summary? Sorry, we haven't, like, <laughs> I've missed a summary for a couple episodes for sure. I know that. Do I shove it after this? Or yeah, after do it the after awards? the awards. Okay, we'll do it after the awards. Good call. <laughs> Academy <laughs> Awards, USA, 1960. They won Best Costume Design, Black and White. Uh, they were nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Director, Best Writing Screenplay Material from Another Medium, Best Cinematography, Black and White, uh, Best Art Direction and Set Direction, Black and White. Golden Globes, USA 1960. They won Motion Picture for Comedy. They also won Best Actress, Comedy or Musical, Marilyn Monroe. And Best Actor, Comedy or Musical, Jack Lemmon. Hmm. BAFTA Awards 1961, Best Foreign Actor, Jack Lemmon. And nominated for Best Film of from Any Source, Billy Wilder. We have the Bambi Awards 1960. Nominated for Best Actor, International, Tony Curtis. Directors Guild of America, USA 1960. They were nominated for Outstanding Directional Achievement in Motion Picture. Then we have the Faro Island Film Festival, 1959. One, Best Actress, uh, Melanie Monroe. Best Film, Best Actress again. for So that was the Audience Award, those first two. Now we're getting into the uh, the Golden Train Award, which is Best Actress. The Golden Train? <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. Um, the Queer Train Award, which is Best Feature Film. Uh, the Audience Award, once again, Best Actor, Jack Lemmon. And then they were nominated for Golden Train Award, Best Film. Grammy Awards, 1959. They were nominated for Best Best Soundtrack Album, Original Cast, Motion Picture, or Television. And we have the National Film Preservation Board. It hit that in 1989. Online Film and Television Association, 2002. It's uh, one motion picture. We, then we finally have the Writers Guild of America, USA 1960. They won the Best Written American Comedy. That's that's a fun one. And now off to the summary. After two male musicians witness a mob hit, they flee the state in an all-female band disguised as women, but further complications set in. 
Great, great. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to put this here before Kyle does a cast, but, you know, it. when you sit down and watch a movie, I can't remember the last time I actually laughed out loud at a TV show or movie. Yeah. I was sitting here last night watching this because I was, well, early this morning, about 2 a.m. this morning, but <laughs> I sat there and, dude, I, la- I caught myself laughing out loud because... It's it's a, it's a there's a couple of funny right in there that movie. just I wasn't expecting and it just it made me crack up. It's out there. It holds up remarkably. It does. Well. So <laughs> so when I first watched this, I, I've watched this. Finally, we're getting to a movie I've watched multiple times. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant watched period because there's been several of them. He, he's never seen a movie before. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do the podcast. I've never watched movies before this. No, um, I, I watched some like it hot in a film class and I, I found it hilarious and I. I Immediately afterwards, I bought it on DVD, and so I own this movie, and I've I've watched it multiple times since. It's it's one of my favorite old comedies. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the cast, who stars who? As always, we um, start with the mess, the best star in the whole world, Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> a professional actor in every degree, uh, absolutely unfailable in her scenes. Uh, Marilyn Monroe <laughs> plays the actor, plays the character Sugar um, Kowalski. Yeah. Kwasiak, or Kane. I'm going to press Sugar Kane. <laughs> a UK player and singer. Um, you, of course, you know her from Seven Year Itch and Misfits and Bus Stop and oh, I can, her You said that you can leave. I can remember as she's sitting on the train after they get yelled at. She's like, not even playing it. Just wave their hand at it. <laughs> Next up, we have Tony Curse as Joe or Josephine or the Shell Oil Junior, a saxophone player. <laughs> uh, you'll best know, you'll recognize Tony Curse in movies like Operation Petticoat, um, The Great Race, and Spartacus. Um, then we have Jack Lemon, who's best known for his roles in movies like Grumpy Old Men, The Odd Couple, and The Apartment. I will say one of my favorite scenes with the two of them is, is it's so subtle, but it's hilarious when they're talking to the operator. He's like, "What do we look like? A couple comedians?" Yes, no. So many great little scenes. Um, next up, we have George Raft as Spats Columbo, a mobster from Chicago. Um, you should also you can also recognize some movies from movies like Bolero, the very original Scarface, and the movie Manpower. Next up, we have Pat O'Brien as Agent Mulligan. You might recognize him in a movie with um, Angels with Dirty Faces. Not many other movies under his belt, but that one's where you might know from. Next up, we have Joe E. Brown as Osgood Fielding III. You might recognize him from movies like Elmer the Great, The Tenderfoot, and Earthworm Traction. He's the one at the very end of the movie. He says, nobody's perfect, and we'll get to that a little bit later. That's a great little scene. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man, just uh, Yeah, I, I just... <laughs> You just see Jack Lemmon's face. He's like, uh. Yep. Next up, we have a Nemahaba Pop. What? Amanana Panato? Nemahat. Nemahima. Persoff, or as Little Bonaparte in Mobster. Oh, yeah. um, you recognize him from using almost all the um, he had voice roles in almost all the American American, American Tale movies. Oh, uh, okay. He's also in the, ori- the original Al Capone. Was he Fievel? What? Was he Fievel? Uh, I don't believe it was Fievel, no, but I believe he had another role in there. I don't remember exactly what it was. I'll look it up a little later. Um, it was in the original uh, the Al Capone film <laughs> and, the bad, and the Badlander. And the streets <laughs> are filled with cheese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, next up, we have Joanne Shawley as Sweet Sue. She's the band leader of the Sweet Sue and her Society of Cynocopters. Cin- uh, cin- 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 
<laughs> yeah, Seneca captors. I right, now I'm gonna say you can watch the film and find it yourself. <laughs> um, you might recognize her from movies such as Buck Private Comes Home and Prehistoric Women. <laughs> Next up, the rest of the actors here. Um, I don't have other films really under their names that I can really find easily. So we have Billy Gray as Sig. Polikoff, who's uh, Joe and Jerry's agent in Chicago. He's the one who's like, we look like a bunch of comedians, you know, just making a joke or something like that, you know, playing for a fiddle. Next up, we have Barbara Drew as Nellie Weinmeyer, um, who's the secretary of the Billy Gray. And uh, you might recognize her movie, um, The Rebel Set, she was apparently in. Next up, we have Grace Lee Whitney as Rosalea. Um, she's the fiddle player. <laughs> Then next we have George E. Stone as Toothpick, Charlie, um, <laughs> a gangster who is killed by Spats Columbo. He literally gets that Toothpick gold-plated, yeah, yeah. which I just, such an amazing little <laughs> image there. Uh, next up we have Mike Mazurki as Spats Hinman, Harry Wilson as another unnamed Spats Hinman, and Edward G. Robinson Jr. as Johnny Paradise, a gangster who kills Spats Columbo. Is he the one that pops out of the cake? I believe he is. Um, <laughs> next up, we have Al Brennan, yeah. who is uncredited, but he plays the very uh, sexually aggressive bellboy. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it lightly, it's just like, huh. I'll be here later, Dal. Yeah. yeah. Don't He'll worry. Don't, don't, the ears. Like, don't worry about uh, leaving your door unlocked. I got a key. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is, that is assault. <laughs> Are you done with the cast there, That Kyle? is the cast of <laughs> Some Like It. All right, so just basically just throw an overview of this movie is you have two guys that are musicians that one plays the bass and one plays the uh, saxophone, and they start off playing in a funeral <laughs> funeral home, which <laughs> is actually a, a cover for them. It's a um, uh, Yes, thank you. Yeah. And uh, basically they, they're running out of money. Um, and they, this one guy, one of the guys wants to take the money and bet on this for sure win on the sports <laughs> thing, taking the guy's coat yeah. and everything. But they witness um, basically an entire Mobster mob. It's yeah. the Valentine's Day massacre. Exactly what it was getting ready to well, say. It's, yeah, it's a super well-known event that happened in Chicago, and it, they, they they made that the, the starting right. point of this movie. And they <laughs> yeah. witness it, and they take off, and they they escape. But uh, they they couldn't find any jobs. But they had this one piece of people's hair say tell them that they have a job, but they're calling for two women. And they're like, hey, we could be women, you know. Yeah. And then you see them walking to the train, and they're walking in like, I don't know how they walk in these things, you know. <laughs> uh, and then they get on the train. This is where they meet uh, the, the people that they'll be working with in Florida. Uh, but So basically they're out running mobsters, but then they're also joining this girls' club, which speak against men and all that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Them two play a perfect, perfect female. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. they play girls. They're, they're, it's hilarious. Yeah. But you get down to Florida. Um, Marilyn Monroe has invested into these. They she become their friends. Uh, Jack Lemmon's always looking out for. Her. Jack Lemmon uh, once he gets here, this one guy hits on him and uh, ends up proposing to him before the end of the movie. It just and then uh, the other guy actually falls in love with Marilyn Monroe, um, but he's dressed as uh, Geraldine or Josephine, one of the two, and. Uh, has this alter the, ego yeah, that he stole he's he stole this <laughs> luggage of this captain and he has like this captain's hat and all this and he pr- uh, portrays that he's a millionaire uh, billionaire of shell oil company <laughs> shell oil and all Junior. that right? <laughs> uh, has yachts and all that which is I'm uh, capable of falling in love but uh, <laughs> no, by the end of the, by the end of the movie you have all the mobsters at a convention down there and they realize who they were they know they are the ones that witnessed them and then uh, hilarity ensues so 
Uh, great movie. Um, right. <laughs> we went to Florida and so did the monsters and the agent. <laughs> yeah. And what was it say? Uh, what was it? The Italian appreciation of opera or something that exactly. they went to? It's like, oh, let's talk. she has got to go. Um, but a little bit about this movie, so we'll dive into it. But if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it because it is hilarious all the way throughout it. Uh, Marilyn Monroe required 47 takes to get, just to get, it's me, sugar. <laughs> Correct. 47 <laughs> takes. Instead of saying either sugar, it's me, or it's sugar me, after take 30, <laughs> Billy Wilder had the line written on a blackboard. Another scene required Monroe to rummage through some drawers and say, where's the bourbon? After 40 takes of her saying, where's the whiskey, where's the bottle, or where's the bonbon, Wilder pasted the correct line in one of the drawers. After Moreau became confused about which drawer contained the correct line, uh, Wilder had it pasted in every single drawer. 59 takes later were required uh, for this scene, and when she finally does say it, she has her back to the camera, leading to some wonder if Wilder finally just given up and had it dubbed <laughs> in over <laughs> 59 takes. Yeah, I almost want to cut her. I, I'm going to reverse my stance when we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's just like, it's just like, at first some point, you just got to take what Marilyn Monroe gives yeah, you. Like, where's the bottle? Where's, where's the, the bonbon? It's just, just like, good enough, Marilyn. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got you. <laughs> we got you, girl. Uh, Jack Lemon wrote that his, the, his, the first snake preview had a bad reaction with many audiences walking out on the film. Uh, many of studio personnel and agents offered advice to Billy Water on what scenes to reshoot, add, and cut. Lemon asked Water what he was going to do. Water responded, why nothing? This is a very funny movie, and I believe it. Uh, believe in it just as it is. Maybe this is the wrong neighborhood in which to have shown it. Um, that makes sense. At any rate, I don't panic over one preview. A while ago, the next preview in the Westwood section of Los Angeles, and the audiences stood up and cheered. Nice. Upon its original release, Kansas banned the film from being shown in the state, explaining that <laughs> cross-dressing was too disturbing for Kansans. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> I might. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Um, many years after the film's release, a movie reviewer asked Tony Curtis why his Josephine was so much more feminine than Jack Lemmon's Daphne. Uh, laughing, Curtis explained that he was so scared to be playing a woman or a man pretending to be one that his tightly wound body language could be read as demure and shy traditionally feminine traits, whereas Lemon, who was completely unbothered and ran out of his dressing room screaming like the Queen of May, kept much more of his masculine body language. And can we talk about the scene, man, where they're, where they're tangoing or whatever, and he's got the rose in his mouth or whatever, and yeah, turns and yeah. the other guy has his mouth. That, like, that's where I laughed out loud. Yeah, dude. Jack Lemon fully on board. It's like, when that, old, so woman. Absolutely that old dance scene, and then when he tells him that I'm engaged. Just, oh, yeah. That's so funny. Uh... Tony Curtis has said that he asked Billy Wilder if he could uh, imitate Cary Grant for his stint as the millionaire in this movie. Wilder liked it, and they shot it that way. Apparently, Grant saw the parody of himself and stated jokingly, I don't talk like that. <laughs> uh, a male cabaret dancer named uh, Barbette uh, tried to teach Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon to walk in hills. After about a week, Lemon declined his help, saying he didn't want to walk like a woman, but like a man trying to walk like a woman. <laughs> uh, when Tony Curtis uh, asked, uh, or Jack Lemon first put on the female makeup and costumes, they walked around the Goldwyn Studios lot to see if they could pass as women. Then they tried using mirrors in public ladies' rooms to fix their makeup, and when none of the women using it complained, they knew they could be convincing as women. There is a scene on the train recreating that moment. Yeah. 
Hmm. Marilyn Monroe, That's here's what we were talking like about earlier. The ultimate test of just like going around town and be like, oh yeah, fine. Here's what you were talking about earlier, Kyle. Oh, Marilyn okay. Monroe wanted the movie to be shot in color. Her contract stipulated that all of her films were to be in color. But Billy Wilder convinced her to let it be shot in black and white when costume tests revealed that the makeup that Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon wore gave their faces a green tinge. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it's one of those things like you could probably do it well today in color, no more problem. But like yeah. I'm saying, like just some of the makeup effects they had back in the day, kind of difficult. Not so much. Stories <laughs> of the difficulty that cast and crew had with Marilyn Monroe during the making of this film have grown to almost mythical proportions. <laughs> in the farewell telephone conversation between Monroe and Tony Curtis, her side-to-side eye movements clearly reveal that she has uh, was reading her lines directly from an off-screen blackboard. According to Curtis, Monroe was routinely two to three hours late to the set and occasionally refused to leave her dressing room. And you know what? I'm going to give Marilyn Monroe some slack because she she was probably drugged up um, just from the uh, stuff you hear about her as far yeah, as yeah, the, yeah. the constantly working, um, all that. Um, they just try to make her a big star, and you know how that yeah, is. There, there's hours of content we could discuss just about her life, and uh, ideally, like, three men talking about Marilyn Monroe for a bunch of hours probably isn't the most appropriate thing, but... <laughs> but, I mean... She had a very difficult life, yeah, and Right, very difficult <laughs> life. A lot of struggles. A lot of struggles. So, I don't... I, I don't want to... We don't... Be, we don't begrudge her for being a struggle to act on this film. Right. I mean, we, yeah, we she's still a great actress, um, because, obviously, we're talking about this film, and it's a great film. Yeah. And it's one of the top 20 of all time. Um, supposedly when um, Ori Kelly was measuring all three stars for dresses, he half-jokingly told Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis has a nicer butt than you. (laughs) At which point Marilyn pulled open her blouse and said, yeah, but he doesn't have tits like these. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that guy passed out. Perfect retort. (laughs) And done. Uh, A preview audience laughed so hard after Daphne's announcement of the engagement to Osgood, which I cracked up, uh, that a lot of the dialogue was missed. It was reshot with pauses and the maraca gimmick to allow it to allow for this, you know, the (laughs) that he sat in bed with. <laughs> Jack Lemon got along with Marilyn Monroe and forgave her eccentricity. Eccentricity, you know what I'm saying. Hey, Jimbo finally had a terrorist. <laughs> I had a terrorist right. moment. Now, here's the key. So it's noticed, Tommy I've, Kyle. I've noticed this. It's it's how he reacts to the flub. Like nine times out of ten, he'll say something and then he'll quickly correct it and he'll just move on. Yeah, yeah. See, you I talk about Jimbo. Or are you talking about the pocket? <laughs> <laughs> I, I correct myself. You know, I don't. Have to it's wait. very, it's very like subtle, and so you don't notice it. Where like when I mess up something, like, like, I have to. I say the name like three times, flubbing it all. Three yeah, but yeah, but do, but do, yeah, but yeah, but do, and then and then I'll finally be like, okay, I'm just. Gonna I've been told that I speak a thousand miles a minute, but I have no idea. And you know what else? We don't have to wait for one of the listeners to correct us, Terrence. We've been doing this for two years, Kyle. Episode one. <laughs> right yeah. Uh, he believed Marilyn simply couldn't go in front of the camera until she was absolutely ready. She, and this is a quote, she knew she was limited and, uh, well, there's a word there I'm not going to say, and blank, but blank, well knew when, uh, what was right for Marilyn. He said she wasn't about to do anything else. He also said that although she may not have been the greatest actor or singer or comedian, she used more of her talent, brought more of her gifts to the screen than anyone he ever knew. I wonder how he defined what the gifts were. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonder if he had a little crush on her. I don't know. Uh, Everyone re- did. <laughs> yeah. The resort scenes were filmed entirely at the Hotel del Coronado in San Diego, California. One reason why Billy Wilder chose this location was Marilyn Monroe's ongoing personal problems. He wanted a location where she could live on site and not have to be transported. 
Jerry Lewis was offered the role of Jerry uh, and Daphne, uh, but declined because he didn't want to dress in drag. When Jack Lemmon received an Oscar nomination for the role that Lewis gave up, Lewis claims he sent him chocolates every year to thank him and now regrets for not taking the part. A lot, a lot of people probably have regrets of movies that they didn't oh, do. Yeah. You know what I mean? But nobody oh, yeah, knows at the time. Giant roles. Yeah, yeah I mean, you never know what's going to be big and never know what's going to be good. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's there's so many the roles I mean, it's we've like, seen that they're like, yeah, no, this is going to flop. It's not going to do good, well, and then it does great. Well, the biggest one that I remember is Sean Connery turned down Gandalf in Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand it. And then he's like, I took League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because I didn't understand it either. <laughs> Obviously, I, I like believe like Will Smith turned down Neo in The Matrix. Yes, so right, just yeah. like there's so many other roles like that, which is like you know everything looks good on paper. You just have to make those harsh calls and uh, see how your career goes. Right, it's a roll the dice. Should I be like uh, Nicholas Cage and just say yes to everything? <laughs> and for better or for worse, that's Nicholas Cage. That's yeah. all he does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2008, a Californian man who found a little black dress in his closet was stunned. When appraisers for a U.S. TV series Antiques Roadshow determined it once belonged to Marilyn Monroe. The huh. frock which Monroe was sewn into for Some Like It Hot in 1959 was estimated to be worth $250,000. Wow. That's a nice Quarter little penny. Just, for just something just in the for, closet. Like uh, something she touched. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Uh, while being interviewed by Michael Parkinson, Jack Lemmon said that the scene where Sugar Cane gets in bed with Jerry on the sleeper train was the only scene Marilyn Monroe managed to do in one take. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then some of the shots oh, there took like 50 plus takes right. inside there too. So, uh, like, I can think of worse things than being stuck with Marilyn well, Monroe. Well, I, 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 I was going to say, uh, I, I can make a lot of jokes right there, but <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. I would. <laughs> uh, Marilyn Monroe was actually pregnant during the filming and as a result looked considerably heavier. She had several miscarriages in her life. Due to her pregnancy, most of the publicity photos were posed for by both Sandra Warner, who had an uncredited role as one of the band members, and Monroe's frequent stand-in, Evelyn Morarity, with Monroe's head superimposed later. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. After shooting, was and, and me and uh, Kyle uh, researched that earlier, and she never had any kids. Yeah. Um, and sad. supposedly, uh, she I has do, a half sister too. She right? has a half sister who's supposedly still alive. Actually, uh, be up if she's still alive. It's 101 years old. Oh. Um, can't find much information on there because she's not an actress herself and not right. like in the news story like that. But uh, wow, long life. Yeah. Uh, after shooting was completed, Billy Wilder threw a celebration dinner at his home for cast members and uh, friends. Marilyn Monroe was not invited. The Crush star had to have it explained to her that she had cost the production roughly half a million dollars with her delays and unprofessional behavior. Wilder had generally unkind things to say about her after this film. When asked if he would do another project with her, he replied, My doctor and my psychiatrist tell me I am too old and too rich to go through this again. <laughs> after reading some of the things Wilder said about her in print, Monroe called his home and told his wife to please give her husband this message, to go F himself. Wilder changed his tune later, coming It takes a real artist to come on the set and, and not know her lines and yet give the performance she did. A year later, at the premiere of The Apartment in 1960, Monroe threw her arms around him and told him how much she loved the picture and whispered that she would like to play the lead in Irma La Douche La Douche, uh, in uh, 1963, a role that eventually went to Shirley MacLaine. So she must have liked him as an actor or director. Maybe yeah. she started getting her life turned around. You don't know. Yeah. According yeah. to Jack Lemmon, uh, George Raff spent hours teaching him and Joe E. Brown how to tango. <laughs> That was funny, man. I still can't get over that. Uh, director Billy Wilder originally wanted Frank Sinatra as Jerry and Daphne and Mitzi Gaynor uh, as Sugar. Uh, 
Hmm. The character of Spats Columbo, which we already talked about, uh, was reminiscent of the Chicago gangster Al Capone's St. Valentine's Day's Massacre in 1929. Uh, the massacre actually occurred in a Chicago warehouse on Clark Street, which is also mentioned in this film. In an interview with Leonard Malt and Tony Curtis confirmed that the voice of his character's female alter ego, Josephine, was an audio modulation of both of his own voice and that of actor Paul Fries. By his own admission, Curtis had difficulty in maintaining the falsetto for an extended time. Hmm. As the girls, question, uh, quotation marks, are walking to their car, you can hear the train uh, station announcer say, Florida Limited leaving on track one for Washington, Charleston, Savannah, Jacksonville, and Miami. All aboard, all aboard. The voice belongs to none other than Disney voiceover legend Jack Wagner, who can still be heard today announcing the arrival and departures of Disneyland and Walt Disney World's trains at the respective Main Street attractions in the USA. I wish I got that in the cast. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I wish I got that in the cast now. <laughs> oh, well. Jimbo has a limelight. Maybe do your own research. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Uh, the only, Roasting me here. Yeah. Something like it hot in me. <laughs> uh, feel it hot, hot, hot. hot. The only yeah. film of 1959 oh, to be uh, nominated for Oscar for the Best Director, but not the Best Picture. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, the characterization of Little Bonaparte is clearly an uh, imitation of Benito Mussolini, from the bald head to the broad gestures. Uh, the film's working title was Not Tonight, Josephine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon, who had to kick off their shoes and soak their painful feet uh, the second Billy Wilder said cut, were usually forced to stand around in painful high heels for long periods of time while waiting for Marilyn Monroe, who flubbed her lines. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, you think they would just stand there barefooted, you know what I mean? If yeah. She's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. According to Tony Curtis's 1993 autobiography, uh, he had a premonition that Marilyn Monroe would be uh, dead within one or two films after production on Sun Like It Hot. Uh, ended in 1958 in November. Sadly, Curtis's premonition came true on Sunday, August of 1962, uh, when Marilyn's death at age 36 was announced earlier that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marilyn Monroe considered to appear uh, in the film only after production executive Harold Marish offered her 10% of the gross. Wow. Wow. wow she's that, making a bank. A chunk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Voted number one on the American Film Institute list of 100 funniest movies of all time in 2001. How about this one, Terrence? This takes us way back to episode two. Anthony Perkins auditioned for the Jack Lemmon role. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, he was used to dressing as a woman. Yeah, he'd be qualified. Right. <laughs> um, according to David Thomason in his book, Have You Seen? Actress Missy Gaynor was standing by in the event that Miss Marilyn Monroe became disabled. Uh, the railroad passenger car that was used in this movie, The Clover Colony, is now at the Tennessee Valley Railroad Museum in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where it can be used uh, in excursion and local service. I'd like to road trip. Be, yeah, road trip. Road trip. Let's go there today. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Uh, Danny, Forty line. <laughs> Danny Kay, who, uh, if you remember, was in White Christmas, and Bob Hope were considered for the roles that went to Jack Lemmon and Tony Cruz. They could probably. Danny Kay was a dancer, if you remember right, so he probably could have been pretty good at that. Uh, unfortunately, the yacht used as Osgood Fieldings is no more. In April of 2009, she sank in the south branch of the Miami River. She was a 121-foot 1930s vintage Nevins that was named Tara and renamed Lovely Lady in 1958 and was used in many films and TV shows. Hmm. American treasure, lost the world. Let's, let's, let's go diving. <laughs> uh, there is an urban legend that the filmmakers chose a ukulele for Marilyn Monroe's character to play because holding small-scale instruments with both hands made her breast look more attractive. 
Well then, <laughs> just a fun okay. fact. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, the film is included in Roger Ebert's uh, greatest movies list. Uh, voted uh, number fourteen on the AFI's list of one hundred greatest movies, uh, which I think I had it at. What I have it at twenty. Or yeah, I think I you had it at twenty. No, no, it's at fourteen. Yeah, it's oh. fourteen. Um, I just can't remember if I said that. Uh, when Josephine slips a note into sugar, uh, to sugar and the basket of flowers brought to the bandstand for Daphne without knowing that there would be any flowers, he just like pulls it out, you know, and he's like, hey, <laughs> yeah, 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 I got it. I was like, how, how, do you, how do you know this was going to be there? And that's funny too, because, you know, uh, he's like, that's your day for tonight. And he's like, wait, waving like this. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> he's like, hey, he's hey, like, show more tea. I got you. It's good. Yeah. Uh, the Hotel Del Coronado wave. that was used in the film uh, is the exact place where Frank, uh, our L. Frank Baum wrote the original book, The Wizard of Oz in 1930. Man, we're having all kinds of throwback calls know, right? in this. Coming full circle. And it used in the 1980 film The Man. Legend has it that this is where Edward the uh, Eighth met Wallace Simpson. Uh, the now famous closing line, well, nobody's perfect, was actually never intended to make the final film. It was apparently <laughs> to be replaced by the writers once they thought of something they liked better. Uh, Diamond and Wilder each credit uh, the other for the genius of the, or the genesis of the line. Wilder later fashioned his own epitaph with a similar line, I'm a writer, but then nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, the film's closing line, well, nobody's perfect, was voted as the 48 greatest movies quotes of all time. And let's talk about that scene for a minute because... Seems great. Uh, they're they're going away and 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 Jack Lim is trying everything he can to get out of marrying this guy and and he's like, well, I called mother, and she's okay with it. He's like, oh no no, your mother wouldn't like me. You know, we I'll never fit in the dress. I'm too. Right. I'm too, I'm too <laughs> he's, like, he's like, we can have it altered. Yeah. And he's like, I, I smoke. I, I smoke yeah. like a chimney. He's like, I don't mind. And he's like, well, I can't have kids. He's like, we'll adopt. <laughs> you know? yeah. And he's like. And finally, he just takes off his wig. He's like, I can't marry you. I'm a man. Oh, and man. he's like, eh, nobody's no, perfect. No, no, no. And Jack Lemmon just jumps back in the seat like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, the best. So, Kyle, what do you think of this movie? Give Ab- us this movie. Absolutely loved it. It's an American classic. It's worthwhile watching today. Uh, very little questionable content. It very held up very much well. And uh, just absolutely adore it. There's nothing much more to add. That, that was actually the biggest like surprising thing is, is you know, typically with older comedy, there's usually... You know, something, something on one landmine or another. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this one. This one's pretty. Like it's still hilarious even by today's standards, and I I've enjoyed it just as much as the first time I watched it. And it's a hilarious movie. You can get some genuine laughs out of it. Uh, it is rated PG, but it is also a 1959 PG, so keep that in mind. But yes, still there, is that, there is violence. <laughs> yeah, and, but, and, and there is a. a uh, Marilyn Monroe is wearing a questionable dress at one point in this movie, and you're true. like, uh, "What was this rated?" You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> but I think that's what they they did with Marilyn Monroe is they made her look as attractive as they could to get more people yeah. to go see the movie and make a bigger profit. It worked. <laughs> now this was my first time watching this movie, um, and I'm telling you, I didn't know where I was going at the beginning because it was a serious movie there for like the first 20 minutes because oh, yeah. uh, the cops are staking out this speakeasy that's covered up by a funeral home and they're down there playing the thing and they break well, in there and yeah, the first interesting part about sure. the like start of the film too is that it's like the first five minutes of the film are actually completely silent there's no I, not completely silent but there's no words actually mentioned which kind of takes back to the silent film era right. um, as it's just revealed that like you know this uh, you know uh, uh, what's the name of the vehicle that transports coffins but uh, uh, the hearse, the hearse, yeah. hearse is 
transporting, you know, people sitting in the back, not saying a word, and the police come and chase them down and shoot them over. And, right. And, and you get the bullets in the, the coffin and yeah. it's leaking and you're like, what? And they open it and it's full of booze. It's full of bootleggers. And so it, it plays like, you know, if you have that scene in the modern movie today, it would play off as a very serious film of bootleggers <laughs> trying to survive and doing the dangerous job of transporting alcohol. Right. Um, but but then you go, you know, you go to, they bust in the speakeasy and then the cops raid it and then they get they go to try to find the work and there's like no comedy there at the beginning you're no, like in like the first going like, on? you know five then, ten minutes there isn't and then yeah. you have the whole shoot up and then <laughs> with it breaks away to that scene where they're walking in high heels yeah. <laughs> just like women to the trade and then from there on comedy gold man it's very much it's almost like two different movies just like oh. a little whiplash <laughs> yeah. and then like, at the end it kind of goes back but but you know what you know something I don't know if you noticed this but at the end of the movie where um, they're running you know they're running in high hills, and you know there, there's that scene where there's a hallway they go straight ahead, or you can turn left. There's a yeah. way to go left, and if you ever watch it, they break up. They do that whole thing where hey, we're going through these doors, and they'll be coming <laughs> running back there. You see that in like the Three Stooges. You've seen it yep. in the cartoons. Uh, they do that. They use that several times. You know, uh, hilarious. Uh, I cannot praise this movie enough. That reminds me of one of my favorite little like little touches they did in the film. It's just all the elevator scenes where they just get in the elevator, close the door, yeah, just raise right the camera up five feet, yeah. raise the little yeah. dial, take it back down, <laughs> open the doors. Oh, we moved. Or you have the one where uh, the, where they're running from them, and they yeah. go. The, I think they're uh, just as the men. They run upstairs, and then a second later, they're in the elevator, kind of the elevator, just as the girls. Yeah, you know, they 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 and then it even has at the towards the end of the movie, like where the uh, remember when he's on the bicycle and it does the oh, whole yeah, speed yeah, up yeah, film. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's on the bicycle, and she's running, and yep. at the end of the film, you see Marilyn Monroe on the back, and then they're running. Uh, they play that transition gag like five times. I know so it's funny every time. It really and, is. I mean, if you have not seen this movie, do yourself a favor. If you just want a good hard chuckle. Uh, Stick with it because the beginning I was like it's kind of violent. I was like I don't know where this is going. Something like it. I mean, it's, uh, I heard it's a comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you stick with it, and it is a great movie. Uh, definitely worth watching Absolutely at least hilarious. once. Any so other three thumbs up from the from the cast of Tragedy I Cinema? Wholeheartedly agree. Three <laughs> thumbs up. Tragedy Cinema podcast. Yep, uh, I'm gonna give it a, a ten out of ten. Um, I could, I probably have to watch this one at least a couple more times because I I really enjoyed it. It's worth it. And being my first. Uh, experience with Marilyn Monroe as far as full length. Um, it's got me interested in seeing some of her other movies in full to see if she if her acting holds up and maybe do some research on those. Maybe we'll cover a couple more of those movies to see yeah. if any other people had problems with her. Uh, maybe Kyle can do a little deep dive of biography of her um, eventually and uh, see maybe some of the issues it's she had in her life. life and, uh, yeah, it's uh, worth, 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 worth knowing about because right. you know, she overcame a lot for her time and uh, kind of presence. Well, she's know. like one of those iconic uh, actresses, too. Like, you always see those uh, pictures with James Dean, her, and Elvis. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The old 50s diner or whatever. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what made her the glamorous the way she was. And to separate some of, like, the kind of, like, the... Myths uh, from the legend. Yeah, the myths from the legend and how, like, you know, she wasn't a flawless person and she wasn't a total victim in all circumstances, but she did have a difficult life and is an example of some of the, you know, tribulations a woman of her statue would have to go through during that period mm-hmm. and the tribulations that women have to go through originally, which, you know, as a man, it's good to, under- to get a depth of understanding of that and uh, help understand women's right because they they, right that's like (laughs) we talked about judy gall in our very first episode the things they did to her that she she had to very very treated very differently so uh, but we could talk about that all uh we'll we'll have kyle we'll send kyle on a little mission to uh do a little biography i'm on the hunt (laughs) (laughs) so um well i don't think there's anything else to say uh you can follow us on all the social medias if you're listening now you probably listened to uh, the spill before but the tragedy cinema podcast group on the facebook uh, just join it. Um, I think the answer is Jimbo and Terrence uh, for to join. 
Um, Email us at tragedyandcinema.com. Uh, we, we like to read reviews, uh, particularly on iTunes. That's probably the easiest place to write a review for us. Right. Uh, besides, you know, sending us an email. Um, well, and, appreciate it, always. And we've got a list of about eight movies that we're thinking about doing here soon. You can finally I don't, follow us again. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't want to give them out because I don't know which ones we're doing next. Uh, but uh, for one, I know we are be doing uh, Captain Blood. Uh, that was requested a long, long time ago uh, by Patrick Sheehan. Um, I've finally talked Kyle and Terrence into doing that one, so that one should be coming soon. Absolutely. Um, we talked about Die Hard, but I don't think the world's ready enough for my criticism of Die Hard because it's not a Christmas movie. Uh, so we'll re- we might do that around Christmas time, maybe. Maybe not, because it's not a Christmas movie. So uh, <laughs> Just totally by coincidence, might do it around Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, I think this episode's coming to co- close, and that's a wrap. And guys, and, and cut. cut.